Hey, this is the first, I was telling Becky this, and I verified this. This is the first time this year that I have spoken three Sundays in a row. Yeah, I think you probably thought, man, I thought you didn't speak. I thought you spoke every Sunday. I'm just so worried. But, you know, I've, uh, by, uh, by, by personal design this year, I thought I'm not going to I've always liked to preach three Sundays in a row and then take let somebody else speak. But this year I decided I was going to try to do two Sundays. And so I've been able to do that every Sunday. Uh, but this time I decided I felt like I needed to go ahead and do this. Amen. I hope you feel like I was supposed to do it. Y'all need to lighten up this morning. <laughs> Woo, Lord help me. Yeah, that's right. We aren't doing solemn assembly stuff. That's another day. <laughs> I'm not preaching that day, by the way, on the solemn assembly. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I want to do it at the happy times. So um, what we're going to talk about this morning briefly uh, is the book of Acts. And the reason we are, you know, I've, been, I've went through, whether you are aware of it or not, I went through each of the Gospels and sort of gave a flyover view of the Gospels uh, because this has been a year... When the Lord, uh, really starting about last year at this time, when the Lord started speaking to me uh, out of Isaiah about who will go for us and, and really giving me some insight into the whole thing about the acts of God. That was the word he really gave me, the acts of God. And, um, and so the way to find about the acts of God really in the Bible is that the Gospels are the great place but there's also a book called The Acts of the Apostles. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that we actually have a book that's centered around acts. It's centered around people who are actually doing something with their life besides just being sponges, you know? And that's really what it is. That's, that's what it's about. It's about these acts. Of, they call it The Acts of the Apostles. Some, you know, that's the, I think that's the official title of the book. Some people call it The Acts of Jesus Christ. That's cool. Uh, but actually, if you read the book, it's the Acts of the Saints. Because it's not just the apostles who are doing uh, these mighty things. There's other people that are not apostles that God used powerfully in the book of Acts. Uh, and, it's, and so that's really what that book kind of shows. It kind of shows us what happened after the Gospels. It's what the church did. It's what the people did that were following Christ. And what they did after he left and left them in charge of his kingdom. And for them to carry the work on. And so that's what it, the whole book's really about if you really boil down to it. For those who don't know, the, the person who wrote the book is Luke. The same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and he wrote it this guy named Theopolis, which, who was supposedly a, the governor of the town that Luke was from. So this guy, Theopolis, evidently had this hunger and this desire to know about Jesus Christ. And so Luke, that was one of his reasons of writing is, is both the, the gospel of Luke and this was for that person and who that person represented, the people he represented, so they could get to know about the person of Christ and about the, the body of Christ that was born. It's just an amazing book. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to read Acts 1, 1 through 8. Okay, uh, Lord help. Uh, in my first book, that was the Gospel of Luke, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Everything be Jesus began to do. Everybody say began. 
He's not finished. That's the problem with the church sometimes. We think he's finished. It's all written down and it's done. It's not done. It's not done. So it was just the beginning. And, and we're to carry that work on. Isn't that beautiful? I love that he said that. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. That would be very interesting. We know some of the times he appeared to them. Uh, you know, there's some of that's covered, like in the Gospel of John, Gospel of Luke. There's some of the things that he actually did, uh, some of the, the events that happened during that time. Uh, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, uh, here you go, Jesus, the, 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 the resurrected Jesus eating. Have you ever, you know what I'm saying? I just wanted to say this. I think I may have shared this one time before after talking to a farmer in, my, in Mount Ulla, that where God lives, because there's a bunch of farmers out there. Uh, and he was talking to me about how he viewed farming uh, and kind of how he viewed it from God's perspective and how important farms were. And like, you're not telling me anything, but I was sort of getting some insight. But the Gospel of Luke, one commentator said in the Gospel of Luke, every story in the, in the Gospel of Luke is either Jesus had just got through eating or was about to sit down and eat or somebody was inviting him to go eat. <laughs> and so he, Luke carries that tradition on. The eating was a big deal with Jesus. He loved to eat with people, even after he was resurrected from the dead. Don't you think that's so cool? Yeah, because we all love to eat, don't we? Yeah, man. Um, So once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's, that's a beautiful experience. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Oh, Lord, help them, right? They weren't, in on, they weren't operating in a lot of revelation at that moment. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power, everybody say power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't that awesome? So that was the stated purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, was to become a witness, a personal witness of Jesus Christ. Uh, the personal witness of this living Christ. Well, there's three things in here uh, that I believe in this, in this little thing uh, that I just read to you that are the basic, the foundations for this book. If you can catch these three things, you will catch the whole book. You can really begin to understand the whole, uh, the whole book of Acts and understand what, because Luke basically tells us right up front, this is what this is all about. In fact, he tells us what Christianity is all about in, those, in what I just read to you. He tells us the whole story. He gives us a revelation of the entire Bible in one sense in those few verses, believe it or not. And I'll just tell you what those three things are. One is the indisputable fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's the first one. The second one is all about the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. And the third one, the necessary Absolute necessary of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So there's, he has laid these three things out right at the beginning, and then the rest of the book centers in his a, a stories about those three things, how those three things worked out in the life of the church. Isn't that amazing? So first of all, I want to talk to you about the resurrection. This is the Easter portion of this message because normally the church doesn't really give many messages on the resurrection except on Easter. Isn't that a tragedy in one sense? It's beautiful that we do that, but it's tragic that we don't do it the rest of the time because for those men and women in that day, this was the most radical thing that they had ever faced. This thing about Jesus being raised, it was not a common thing. See, it's become common to us. In a sense, we're jaded by it. We've got thousands of years of a belief that he really did raise from there. We don't question that. We don't question that Jesus is alive. We don't question. But for them, this was a radical thing, and it dramatically affected their thinking and their actions. As a matter of fact, Every message in the book of Acts, every message is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I just said to you? Every message in this book of Acts is about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, one time Paul was arrested, he was locked up, and they were trying to figure out what to charge him with. And the guy, Festus, I think it was, there was two guys, Felix and Festus, said, I don't know what to charge him with because they're just arguing about this guy that he claims is alive, but the Jews back in Jerusalem claims are dead. How can you charge a guy just because he believes this guy's alive? Isn't that amazing? All his messages, all Peter's messages were about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It powerfully impacted them. It, it gripped their souls. And these are men who, by the way, some of these men actually had seen other people resurrected from the dead. This wasn't the first resurrection they experienced. They experienced Jairus' daughter being raised in Mark chapter 5. They, Lord, help me. Yeah. They experienced the, uh, Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old girl. Jesus raised her from the dead. They saw this girl raised from the dead. They were there when Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, saw a dead man walk out and been dead for four days. They saw it. They saw it. They ate with him later. They sat at the table of a man who had died. Can you imagine that conversation? And they also were there on the funeral, I think in Luke 7, where there was a widow from the city of Nain where she had a child. Her only child was dead, and they were on the way to bury the child, on the way and Jesus stopped the funeral possession, stopped the funeral, and said, we're not having a funeral today. We're having a resurrection. And he raised this. And so they saw that, but there was something different about this resurrection. There was something vitally different. This guy came back alive never to die again. They knew all these other people were going to die again. They, grew, they were the same person. Listen to me. They were the same person after they were resurrected. They weren't. They didn't have something weird going on with them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus had something weird going on with him after he was resurrected. All of a sudden, he starts walking through walls. He's acting like a spirit. He's not acting like a person, a human. He's walking through walls. He's disappearing before people's eyes. He's popping up at different places, scaring people. So they knew there's something different. But the problem was 
He had flesh and blood. They touched him. They touched his scars. They felt it. And so they knew there's something mightily different about this resurrection and all other resurrections that we experience. I wanted to read this one verse here, Revelations 1.18. This is Jesus talking. Are y'all with me this morning? He said, I'm the living one. I died. I died. I died. God died, y'all. God died. God died. God died. Think about it. God died. That's what he said. I died. But look, I'm alive forever and ever. I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death in the grave. I hold the keys of death in the grave. In other words, those men realized probably for the first time fully last three and a half years with Jesus, we were actually with God himself. Can you imagine how impacted that would be for you to be with somebody and realize, oh my gosh, I was with God. I walked on the earth with God for three and a half years. I talked to God. I had intimate conversations with God. I heard God speaking into my human ear for three and a half years. You know, it gripped their hearts when they realized this. Let me read this other thing that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians 3, verse 10 through 11. Philippians 3, verse 10 through 11. Um, you know, just by the way, just in case you don't know, this, this is one of what they call the prison epistles. In other words, there's some letters that Paul wrote. I like letters better than epistles. It's epistles sound so, you know, so, whoa, epistles, wow. I'm going to write an epistle. How about write me a letter? <laughs> they were really letters. So I think what it was, Ephesians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon were letters he wrote when he was in prison. Okay, I think that's, that's significant. That's towards the end of his life. That's towards the end of his ministry. Okay, listen to this. I want to, this is Paul the Apostle at the end. This is not Paul the Apostle on the road to Damascus after he got knocked off the, well, he didn't get knocked off a horse, right, Jim? Everybody, Jim brought this out to me one day. He didn't, they won't, the Bible doesn't say he was on a donkey. There's pictures of Paul on, getting knocked off the donkey. He wasn't on a donkey. It says he just got knocked to the ground. He, he was probably walking. Maybe he was on a donkey, but it doesn't say. That's cool to me when I find out stuff like that. Uh, oh, everybody was thinking he was on a donkey. What? That's not in the Bible. What else am I thinking that's in the Bible? Right? That's not in there. That's, I've read into it. Or somebody said, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. I want to know Him. This is at the end. I want to know Him. That's a powerful statement. Powerful statement coming from somebody like him who, the amazing Paul, who had already written Ephesians and Colossians. Like, how, how could you not know Christ and write all that stuff, Paul? I want to know Christ. And, listen to this, experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to know Christ. See, let me see, tell you all something. I think in Paul's mind... What he was saying here, he was saying just knowing Christ 
is not enough. Are you, I know that might not sound right. It sounds right if I just know Him. Everything's going to, that's the goal, that's the purpose, that's the dream, just to know Him. But that was not His goal. That wasn't His dream. Now, He did place that as the top priority of His life. He did say, I just need to know Him. I just want to know Him. But He said, I need to know something else too in my life. That's where I think we've kind of missed the mark sometimes. I need to experience, I need to know the power of His resurrection. I need to know that. I need to experience that. In fact, He prayed that. It was one of His prayers over the Ephesian church that you would know the exceeding greatness of His power, the exceeding greatness of His resurrection power. That was part of His prayer for the Ephesian believers, that they would know that. Paul put great value on knowing the power of the resurrection. He put as much value, almost as much value as knowing Christ. It was right there with it. And then, then he said there was one more thing, though, is the fellowship of his suffering. I think we sang that. It's, it's really getting down deep in God's heart and really feeling what God feels and the things that move God, the things that touch God. That's what he was after. He was after that depth with God. Are y'all following this? And I think those are the things we really have to ask ourselves. You know, we got to go beyond just saying, I want to know the Lord. Well, I do want to know the Lord. I really do. I passionately want to know the Lord. But I need to have a passion for knowing the power of His resurrection. I need to have a passion of going deeper into His heart. Because that's what Paul had. That's, that's what he had. And, and see, that's what the early disciples all had. They knew they, we've got to really connect with this powerful thing called the resurrection power that's living in us. That's, you know, the, what does he, Paul say in Romans? It's the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body. Don't you think that might have something to do with it? That there was some, this spirit that was at work, this resurrection power that was work, that can actually touch your physical mortal body and do something to it. Do something to it. Yeah, I mean, we really need this. We really desperately need this thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so Paul really knew this. He knew, you know, obviously he knew the Lord. Obviously he had experienced the power of his resurrection before he ever wrote this down. But he knew there was a greater knowing. There was a greater knowing of his power. There was a greater knowing of him than he had experienced yet. I'll just remind you all of this. You all really got blank stares on your face. You will never be closer to God than you are right this second. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, the blood of Jesus Christ has brought us near to God. It's not based on anything else. Not based on anything else. It's the blood puts you right there with God. You can't get no closer. You're all over Him. But that doesn't mean you really know Him. I'm going to tell you that today. That doesn't mean you know Him. I had this experience. I'm just going to tell you this. I had this experience. It's been a couple of months ago where I was talking to my sister, one of my sisters. And I was, we got to talk about my dad who's been dead for a long time now. And I started telling her stuff that I found out about my daddy when he was in the last couple of years of his life. He started sharing things with me that I never knew about. I was amazed at stuff he was telling me. And, I re- and she said, where did you find out all this at? She was shocked because she didn't know it. I'm like, well, well, he told me. Why did he tell you? 
was because I got with him and started asking him questions about his life. And he started opening his heart up to me and telling me things. And I realized this. I thought about this. When my daddy held me when I was a baby. My daddy held my hand crossing the street. I adored my daddy. I, he tried, as I became older, he tried to reach out to me. He tried to do things with me. He tried to be a good daddy. He really did. You know, and I was as close to my daddy as any human being for a long time until Becky came in and interrupted the whole thing. <laughs> but here's what I'm saying. I didn't really know my daddy. You hear what I'm saying to you? Even though the blood's put you right there doesn't mean you know him. You, you gotta put. You got to ask God to put this thing in you, this hunger in you, this desire in your heart to know him. You really do because don't think and don't be deluded just because you're near to God, you're close to God, that you know God. I promise you, you probably don't. Not like you should because Paul, at the end, towards the end of his life, he probably maybe a couple years from there, maybe at the most, he was, he was done after that. Are y'all okay? And so I think we just need to encourage ourselves with these things. We don't get close. We're not trying to get closer to God. We're trying to get to know him. We're trying to dig in and find out what's really in his heart and who he really is and, and the desires and passions that he has that he's looking to share with people. Amen. Okay, I'm going to move away from that. I'm going to talk for a couple more minutes here about the kingdom of God because that's what Jesus talked about. Are y'all good with that? Come on, let's get a revelation of the resurrection power. Anyways, uh, it's about the kingdom. It says he talked to them for those 40 days about the kingdom of God. Now think about this. Jesus spent three and a half years, the first public thing he ever said, recorded in the Bible, was repent for the kingdom is here. He Immediately, his ministry started out talking about the kingdom. When people ask him how to pray, how do we pray? Your kingdom come. Uh, one of his greatest messages, the, the Sermon on the Mount, seek first what? The kingdom. That's the thing you need to seek first above everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God. Okay? Uh, many of his parables begin like this. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, many of his teachings where he was given illustrations trying to describe to his people, this is what the kingdom of God, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So he talked about it. In fact, this is, this is, what, this is a fact. This is a biblical statistic. Um, and uh, there are, in the New Testament, the word kingdom appears 140 times. Okay? 109 of those times are in the Gospels. In other words, that was Jesus' subject. That was the thing that he wanted to talk about. And so here he goes, he dies on the cross, okay, gets resurrected, eating hamburgers. What does he want to talk about? The kingdom for 40 more days. I want to talk more. Can you imagine something? Hey, hey, Jesus, you know, can you tell us some other stuff? You know, you've been talking about kingdom for a while. You know, it'd be nice to talk about something else, you know. Tell me, you know, five how to you know, win friends and influence people. You know, instead of more of the kingdom. Dang, you've already rose from the dead, and that's still what you want to talk about. Because everything is about the kingdom. 
let me tell you that. In Jesus' eyes, everything is about the kingdom. Well, let me read this. Are you all okay? Let me read this now. Acts 28, 30 through 31. Speaking of Paul, again, this is, so the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus is talking to them for 40 days about the kingdom. The end of the book of Acts, you got Paul the apostle in jail or at house arrest, okay? Not like house arrest that we have. You know, they put a little band on your leg and don't you wander off from that house, boy. We'll track you down and get you. Now you had this Roman soldier sitting there with you, okay? And that's sort of how the deal worked. And you got this house that he rented that he had to pay for. I mean, what kind of jail is that, man? You're having to pay for it. Well, anyways, it says this. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense, by the way. Isn't that cool that that's in the Bible? Have you ever just thought about that? Why? Who cares at his own expense? Well, obviously, God cared. God cares a lot. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom. Now, listen to me. At the end of Paul's life, last the thing that he wanted people to know about, the kingdom of God. He was proclaiming it. Anybody who came, anybody who would listen, that was his topic. He somehow picked up on this thing somewhere along the line that he realized this thing about the kingdom is everything. It's, it's everything. Uh, and then he gives us a little, another little hint. And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. So let me just throw this little thing in here for you that might help you. Um. You know, for a lot of my Christian life, uh, the kingdom of God was sort of abstract to me. Um, I think I share this. It, it was not abstract, abstract, necessarily abstract in my understanding, my, my brain, but my heart, it was very abstract. And I knew it because everything I knew about it, and I read books on it, and I remember reading this book by this well-known charismatic teacher that was an awesome book i'd be doggone i read the book and thought i'm just so i'm more confused now than i was when i first started i mean it's just it was like all this information it's like an information overload about the kingdom but nothing was hidden here nothing was hidden here and and but the lord really answered my prayer and started giving me revelation about the kingdom uh through i think i shared with y'all through this encounter with bob jones and how he was able to mentor me and, and not teach about the kingdom, but show me how the, the kingdom works. I began to see it fleshed out. And that began to give me revelation. So here's what I discovered, though, is I discovered that the Bible, I'm talking about the whole Bible, the kingdom is not just one of the subjects of the Bible. Okay? The kingdom is the subject of the Bible. Everything in the Bible is about the kingdom of God. Y'all sitting there not believing me. I know you are. But I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. Read it from start to finish. And you, if you're paying attention, that's the conclusion you're going to come to. You're going to come to the conclusion it starts out in the garden. The kingdom does. That's where it starts. Okay, first two chapters of the Bible, last two chapters of the Bible. What was started in the garden was finished in the last two chapters. When the, when the new Jerusalem, when the kingdom of God came to earth, 
everything in between was, this is, I read this to y'all at the first of the year. I'm going to read it again. This is Rick Joyner quote that I read that really helped me get some context on this. The entire Bible, with the exception of just six chapters, is about restoration. The restoring of the earth and mankind from all the consequences of the fall. Man fell in the garden, and not only did man fall within himself, he fell from the mandate. He fell from the commission. The commission was take what you have and expand it into the whole earth. What you have was a garden. That was the kingdom. That's how the kingdom started on the earth. It was a garden and two people, and God was saying, I want you to take this and multiply, be fruitful, and put it all over the earth, and let the earth be filled with the kingdom of God. And so what happens, though, in chapter 3, of course, you know what happens. The devil, like Dean was talking about that bad person, right? That dark guy came and tricked him. He was a snake then, you know, on the ground, talking, snakes, that's pretty cool, right? In the Bible, snakes talked. You know, Jesus talked to trees in the Bible. Jesus talked to the wind. And I'm missing some stuff in the Bible, man. The only ch- chapters in the Bible that are not about this are the first three and last three. That's what he said. And so those, all these middle chapters are about restoring. Restoring what? Restoring the kingdom. Restoring humanity back to their original purpose, their original who they are, and their original design, their original what they were supposed to do with their life. That, that's what it's all about. It's all about, I'm going to get you back, really in a sense, what Jesus did, I'm getting you back to the garden so you can begin to go from here again and bring my kingdom into the earth. When you begin to see the Bible like that, it's a different book. When you begin to think about the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, oh, this is all about God trying to restore what he created in the beginning. He created the kingdom that looked like a garden. And at the end of those times, the kingdom is a beautiful city called the New Jerusalem, the garden city, right? Are y'all with that? I'm telling you, that really will help you with the Bible. It'll help you with the darkness that's in the Bible. It'll help you with, with the, the things that go on in the Bible that are distressing to you, the things that happen. Because you know, it's full of distressing things. It's full of questions. But it's all because there's this process of restoration going. It's all part of this darkness being, being you know, mankind being restored so they can push that darkness and bring the kingdom there. And sometimes that was violent. Okay? Sometimes it's violent. In fact, Jesus said the kingdom suffers violent up until the days of John the Baptist. That's what he said. Up until the days of John the Baptist, there's violence. But when he came, he brought, he wants to bring, we don't do kingdom by violence. Are y'all okay? Well, I think that's pretty amazing to me. It really is. But this is a, a, another little key here. Woo, Lord help. Teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul proclaimed the kingdom and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. The kingdom has a heart. Okay? The kingdom really ultimately is a person. And that's what he was trying to teach about. I want to teach you about this person. I want to teach you how to get to know his heart because that person's the king. And when you get to know the king on a deeper level, you can begin to know the king's kingdom. You can begin to know why the king does is what he's doing. Are y'all following that? 
See, that's why he gave us a way to help us understand the kingdom by saying, get to know the king. Let me tell you what the king's like. The king doesn't like people being dishonored in his kingdom. You hear what I'm saying? The king don't like that. So when you dishonor somebody, you're you're doing something that the king don't like. So you need to repent of that. Don't do that. And that's, that's what this is about. You begin to learn how the king thinks, how the king feels. And, and when you begin to learn that, you begin to learn how his kingdom works. Because they, you can't separate the king from the kingdom. You really can't. Because there's no such thing as a kingdom without a king, right? And there's no such thing as a king that don't have a kingdom. All right, y'all, come on. Well, let me just tell you about this thing that happened to me, Okay. You got, you got 10 more minutes. I can do this. Let me tell you. One time I was in church. It was this church. And this was a long time ago. And um, I was sitting in worship. And the Holy Spirit spoke so clear to my heart in that moment. Asked me this question. Okay, don't you love it when the Holy Spirit asks a question? You know the old story, he's not asking you because he needs to know something. He's trying to tell you something. Well, it's so true. He said, Byron, is this what is in your heart? And I'm looking around at the room, and I'm thinking, not really, Lord. No. In other words, what I, was, what I felt on the inside, I wasn't necessarily seeing it on the outside. You hear what I'm saying to you? My inside world had gotten a long ways away from my outside world or vice versa. And he said to me, won't you find out what's in your heart and do it? So he said to me, wow, man. That was one of the most profound things for me because here's what that did for me. It helped me to discover me. Okay? That's what it did. It helped me to begin to discover the real me, who I am. Okay? And what I feel and what I think. Okay, and begin to live not from what everybody else says, but try to tap into what who I am as a person and what God's called me to do and begin to see that out here. Are y'all following this? You know, that was, and it began to teach, and, and he also, the, the next thing he began to teach me out of that is this is the way you're going to be able to see the invisible. It's through that. You'll never be able to check into the invisible world if you are stuck because you're, the way you see the, in, in, the invisible is through the eyes of your heart, through the eyes of your understanding. And if you're not living from that, if that's not true to you, then, then you're just going to not really be able to tap in. That was a wonderful experience, and it launched me on this long journey, you know, of becoming like, you know, the famous word, becoming more authentic, becoming my more genuine self, becoming brave enough to let what was in me come out of me. Because in my life, I was always suppressed feeling. I always felt like if I let what's in me out, nobody's going to like it because I didn't, I didn't measure up. You, you understand what I'm saying? People know this. If you don't know this, you're telling a lie. You know? And so God began to teach me that. But you know what the great thing is, though? Let me tell you. Let me tell you what the great thing is. There's something even bigger than just that. Because that is as awesome as all that is, 
being genuine, being authentic, living from your heart, doing what you believe is inside of you and trying to create that outside of you is all beautiful. Everybody needs to go through that process. But if you stop there, you have missed the mark. You've missed the mark because it's not about you. Because guess what Jesus said was inside of you? He said the kingdom is what's in there. And really, for you to really let that kingdom out, you're going to have to get real. You're going to have to be a more real person. Are y'all following that? You know, and the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When Jesus spoke, he was speaking from the kingdom inside of him. And I believe that's one of the ways that what Jesus wanted us to do is when he said, pray for the kingdom to come. We were, it's really he's wanting us to tap into our hearts and release that kingdom inside of us. Get that released out there in the world. Y'all just, y'all checked out on me on that. I can tell. Mm-hmm, I can tell. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, give me th- oh, I got five more minutes. I'll tell you the last one. The last thing which everybody thinks about when you think about the book of Acts is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, right? That's like the number one thing that comes to your mind. When you think about the books of Acts, that's what we all think about. We think about you receive power, the baptism, the day of Pentecost, the miracles. As a matter of fact, and it's a good reason because in every chapter in the book of Acts, something supernatural happens. Every chapter, every chapter in the book of Acts, those chapters didn't happen in a day. Are you hearing what I'm saying? They were, it was a, the first 10 chapters in the book of Acts are 10 years. They say the whole book is, spans 30 years. 30 years. It wasn't like every day, every moment, some major supernatural thing happened. But in every chapter, there was the supernatural happening. And that's what God is looking for with the people is the supernatural. Here's another thing, but this is important. Because you, you, most people, when you talk about that, here's what they're thinking. Oh, baptism in the Holy Spirit, miracles, speaking in tongues, right? Dreams, visions, revelation. It's all in there, right? That's all in there. But there's something else, okay? There's another little kind of hidden thing in there that, that I've been discovering. You want to hear it? Yeah. A lot of those people that got baptized in the Holy Spirit when Pentecost came, remember, at least 70. Well, at, mm, probably 80-something. Let's just say 100 of them. The mo- they were, at that time, the most trained and equipped people that ever walked the earth in terms of supernatural. Because they had been with Jesus. Many of them had performed miracles themselves already. Right? Jesus in Luke 10, send to 70. Wow, we saw Satan come down. We stomped on him. They already were doing miracles. You hear what I'm saying? So this miracle thing, as beautiful as it is, and I'm not, I'm telling you, we need to go after the miracles. But I am saying there's something else that they didn't have before Pentecost. And I'll tell you what it was. Lock the doors. We're scared. Those guys are going to get us. Those guys who killed Jesus, they're on the way to get us. Remember that? 
And Jesus walks through the wall, I think it's in John 20, because they were locked up afraid. They were just slam scared. And I would be too, because Jim Romans were, you know, you didn't mess with those dudes. If they went after you, you were dead. Uh, you know, they used, this is a historical facts, when the Romans would march through a town or through anywhere, if you were in their way, say you were fell down or something, they would trample you. They would walk right over the top. They would trample you and kill you. That's how brutal they were. They were nobody to be messed with. They were the most brutal. You're talking about traffickers, pedophile. I mean, they had it all going. The whole culture was ate up with it. Way worse than our culture. Violence. Everything was ruled by violence and murder and sexual perversion. It was all just, every, the whole thing was just consumed with it. And they, but they were brutal people. So, I'm not saying, dude, I'm, I'd have been scared too. I'd have probably left town already, like the road to Emmaus guys. I'm out of here. I'm going down the country here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, let me read this. Are you all okay? So what happens? Pentecost comes. The Lord's gone back to heaven. Peter and John are going up to the temple one day. There's this guy who's been there for 40 years, paralyzed, begging, you know the story in Acts 3. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That guy gets up, walks, gets to celebrating, gets, gets really Holy Ghost on him. I mean, goes into the temple and starts dancing and carrying on crazily, just shouting. Everybody knew, this guy, some miracles happened. And, the, and then Peter gave this famous message about it's, it was the faith in the name of Jesus and in the middle of his message, guess what? He gets arrested. They get arrested. They haul him in, okay? They, you know, had this big conversation with him. All this stuff goes on in Acts 4. You know, why are you doing this? Then they said, well, you cannot speak anymore in the name of Jesus. No more. Now get out of here. They wouldn't, they didn't whip him or nothing. Get out of here. They go to their people. Hey, let's pray. That's what they did. They go to the people. Here's this. Here's their prayer. And now, O Lord, Acts 4, 29 through 31, hear their threats and give us your service. What? Great boldness. Boldness. What happened to boldness? In preaching your word, stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. That's pretty good, right? We got it, baby, if it's shaking, right? And what? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word with boldness. And you go through the book of Acts, I think seven or eight or nine times, that word boldness. See, we've forgotten about something. We've forgotten that one of the key signs in the book of Acts is courage, just boldness. And I think if we've ever lived in a time where we needed that, it's now. It's right now. Because Christians are cowering. We're cowering. We're, you know, giving up ground because we don't have this courage. We don't have this boldness. We're afraid. We're afraid of offending somebody. We're afraid of saying the wrong things, doing the wrong things. And the church is, 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 is going to be paralyzed. But I believe God's going to baptize the church with the Holy Spirit. We're going to get filled fresh. I think there's a boldness going to come. Um, and I'm talking about a big-time boldness like these guys had. They were no longer afraid of those people who killed them. 
who killed Jesus. They were flat and not afraid. They were like, oh, do it. Okay, then. They're going to get us if, if we do this. Lord, we need boldness because we're doing it. We're going to do it. We're going to, because this is what we were put on this earth to do. Okay? Back in the, let me just say this. If you go back and study the culture, you know, the Roman culture, Christians being thrown to the lion's den or thrown into, you know, all that, getting ate up. They were not, they were not thrown in there because they were Christians, because they were good people. That was not the reason. They, this is why they were thrown in there, because they were brave enough to say, Jesus is king. In those days, Caesar was king. And for you to say somebody else was the king was a death sentence. But they weren't afraid to say it. They really weren't. And it cost some of them their lives. It cost, cost Peter his life. It cost Paul his life. It cost her life. These, there's been bloodshed, you know. But they had this boldness working on them. They weren't trying to negotiate and argue over social media and all that. They, that was not what they were about. They had a spirit of boldness that came into them. And they was able to preach with boldness and preach. And, and God did stuff. God did, you know, the signs and wonders. God did what he did. And I think that's really one of the things that if you, you, you can't deny that's what we see in the book of Acts. We see these people standing up to hostile crowds and not backing down not backing down and preaching with boldness and declaring with boldness. And we see the kingdom of God spreading all over the earth. These people who've turned the world upside down have come here. That's what some of the people, they've turned the world upside down. They've come. We've got to get rid of them. You know? Um, I'm going to stop. I just want to remind you of that one thing in Romans 16 that really just gripped my heart so much. I think it was like 30-something names in there that Paul mentions in last chapter in Romans. Uh, you know, greet this person, greet that person, greet so-and-so, greet so-and-so. And I was thinking about all these people one day, like, wow, these were people. These were buddies. These were friends. Greet Marlon. Greet Paula. Gr- greet Palmer. These were all human beings. They had family. They had friends. They had a life. You go study those people. Many of them became great leaders in the church, you know, bishops and, you know, so-and-sos and pastors and evangelists. But guess what? Guess what? Every one of them were martyred, according to church history. Every one of them. I think that's why God wanted them in there. He wanted them in there. These people were martyred for what they believed. They were chickens. They weren't worried about what's this political correct words. They didn't back off when things started going against them. In fact, they didn't back off so much they died for it. And that's why the gospel lived on to this day is because there were people like that who were willing to die for what they believed in. But they had this thing... They had this Holy Ghost anointing on them, this spirit of boldness on them that God gave them, that enabled them. So I, th- I guess my point is I think the church, we need to start, instead of asking God for, and I'm saying all day, let's don't quit asking God for the gift of tongues or prophecy. I mean, I want all that. I have all that, by the way. 
You know, I want more, but I want some boldness from the Holy Spirit. I think we need to start looking at that. It's like, wow, this person's full of the Holy Ghost. Look at this boldness on them, you know. And I just think that's going to be important for the church in the days ahead. And I think that's one of the key things to me that the book of Acts teaches me is boldness from the Holy Ghost is absolutely needed for the kingdom to spread. Amen? So let's stand up. Oh, Lord help, right? Anybody okay? <laughs> All right, Jenny's coming out here. And we're going to, I'm going to pray for you. Okay? I'm going to pray for you. Uh, you know. Can I say one short thing before you pray about Yeah. It? Short. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little thorn. I just heard Matthew 6.33 differently than I've ever heard it before during the sermon. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added unto you. It's so clear. There's the kingdom of God and then there's everything else. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Good word, Dean. Dean's got some. That was a good one, Jenny. He didn't talk too long. So three things. We need a revelation. I'm talking about revelation about the resurrection. That needs to become something that starts really working in us. For per- personally and for for out here. Instead of a we oh yeah, Jesus is risen from there. We all believe that. It, it needs to go beyond that for us. I really believe that. Because we need that power. We need to ask God for the power of the resurrection that we would experience it and we know it. So, Lord, we ask you for that. We're asking you today for the power of the resurrection. We begin to experience what Paul said, the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. The same power that worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead. I ask you, Lord, to release that in this room. I ask you to release this in our hearts, God. I pray you begin to work on us. And that would become more real to us. And we would get hungry for that power, Lord. Not illegitimate power. Not power to be something. But power to connect into this person. Lord, I ask you for that. And I ask you, Lord, for a revelation of the kingdom of God. That we would begin to see the kingdom. We would begin to hear the kingdom, Lord. We would be like Jesus. We'd be consumed with that thought. We would want to talk about it. We would want to teach about it. We would want to experience it, Lord. We want to see it happen, Lord. We want to see the kingdom restored into the earth. Because we know when it's restored, people are restored. And Lord, we ask you for that boldness from the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost, baptize us. Let the Holy Ghost boldness be our portion. And we would stop being chickens. And we would quit being afraid of things, people. And that boldness would come. And I believe when the boldness comes, the wisdom comes. And the power comes. Boy, we are asking you for it, Father. We bless you, Lord.